And speaking uh, of a younger demographic, E.J. Dion certainly has his following in that demographic. He is a columnist for the Washington Post. He's a senior fellow in governance studies, the Brookings Institution, and a university professor in the Foundations of Democracy and Culture at Georgetown University. E.J., thanks very much for making the time for us. Happy to be with you, and I will love you forever for associating me with the younger demographic. Thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) Well, why not? The question is younger than what? Younger than Joe Biden and younger than Bernie Sanders, right? I I, I got that one. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Okay, so speaking of Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders, let me ask you first off, before we get into the talk of impeachment and investigation and the Trump scandals, Uh, What's going on with Joe Biden? I mean, there was widespread expectation that he was going to announce his candidacy tomorrow. Now they're saying Thursday. Do you have any reason to believe that that the vice president may be reconsidering whether this is such a great idea for him to run? I don't honestly know that. And they keep sending a signal that he is doing it this week. Um, and so I still think he is going to, my guess, because I won't claim any inside information here, because uh, I haven't reported on it, but uh, my guess is he'll do it tomorrow. But I think he is very aware that this will not be an easy thing. I think he's aware of that partly from uh, what, you know, what he ran into with his habit of touching people, uh, he has always been a very physical guy with everybody, and, and he always took that for granted as a sign of uh, his being a warm person, which he is, and it turned out to be something that offended enough women that they came out, and that created a new problem. And so I think he and his folks are aware that this will be more complicated than they expected, but um, if, you, if I had to guess, I'd still guess he's coming up, but I've, I've had the same, in, in, honestly, the same inclination you have had, that he took a second and third look at it, knowing that he will not be coronated. Yeah, you can't be coronated when you've got 5,000 other candidates, or, well, maybe like 19 or something. There actually are. I, I, I looked at it yesterday. There are 249 candidates <laughs> who have paid the money and officially registered with the Federal Elections Commission and who have um, a, enough contributors to register with the federal election. 249, E.J. It's like a town meeting in New England or something. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, or, or it could be minor league camp for, for some uh, uh, professional baseball team in the, during spring training. But concerning Joe Biden and his chances of actually winning this thing, you have a very common sense approach, I think, to the Mueller report, which is what I, part of what I want to talk to you about. But what does Joe Biden say? Last night, Kamala Harris came on very strong for immediate impeachment. So did Elizabeth Warren. Bernie Sanders, a little bit more cautious, believe it or not. What does Joe Biden say on this issue of impeachment, which is going to be front and center for Democrats for the next couple of weeks at least? I think he says whatever Nancy Pelosi is saying, uh, and and which means right now, I think he says, as somebody who is up top in the polls, uh, that uh, they should play it out, they should have hearings, they should have an investigation, and take their time before they get to impeachment so everybody knows it should be deliberate. It is a deliberate process, which, as you know, is what I think. I think it's notable that candidates who are either on top, like Biden and uh, Sanders, 
or are rising, like Pete Buttigieg, have not come out as strong pro-impeachment candidates. I think when you look at Elizabeth Warren and Kamala Harris, they have not, they're not as high as they would like to be or they hope to be. And I think it was shrewd of them to come out strongly for impeachment now um, uh, from their own, just from their own point of view. Um, I also think there may be a useful division of labor here uh, in the Democratic Party if they don't tear each other's hearts out, which Democrats are good at doing, which is that candidates and uh, members of Congress who are saying this is serious enough to merit impeachment are sending a signal that take to people, you should take a look at this Mueller report. This stuff is really bad. Uh, in the meantime, the leaders of the party in Congress, all the committee chairs and Pelosi, are saying, yes, this stuff is really bad, but we are going to be very careful in how we approach this, which is what I suspect most of the handful of swing voters in the country feel. I, I was also struck, by the way, today that there was uh, one of the polls which showed Trump's uh, disapproval rating way up, uh, nonetheless still showed that only about a third of Americans want to proceed with impeachment. And so I think before Democrats uh, pursue impeachment, they want those two numbers to be a little closer together than they are right now. Well, I, I, w I would think so. Every single election, and you know this because you've written about many of our past elections, E.J. Dion, despite your connection with the younger demographic. Um, <laughs> every election's about something. It's deciding a question. It seems to me if this election ends up being about impeachment, President Trump is likely to be a landslide winner because the, the American people, as you indicate, uh, very clearly they don't like Trump all that much. But they really don't like the idea of another impeachment crisis like the disaster we went through with Bill Clinton. Well, you know, I, I have a little bit more of a nuanced view, I guess, on that question, if I can use that word, um, which is, I think, what Demo I think the election ultimately is, like all elections with incumbents, uh, a referendum on Trump. And there are a lot of issues surrounding that. There are obviously questions about what we do moving forward. But when there's an incumbent on the ballot, the first and most important people, uh, question people ask is, does this person deserve re-election or not? Therefore, the atmosphere surrounding Trump really matters. If Democrats just sort of backed off and said, oh, well, Mueller didn't go as far as we hoped, uh, that would send a signal to the country, well, all this stuff really didn't amount to much. Democrats have to get people to look at the Mueller report or um, more likely use hearings to demonstrate in pieces for people what the Mueller report says about both all the ways in which he obstructed, whether it was criminal or not, and also all the ways in which the Trump campaign cooperated with the Russians, okay, whether we, it we was will, criminal or not. We will continue on this with E.J. Dion of The Washington Post. What's the election really going to be about coming up? On the Michael Medved Show, honored to be joined by E.J. Dion of the Washington Post, prolific author, university professor, a nationally syndicated columnist. And uh, E.J., putting the election coming up into perspective for, for just a moment, one of the pieces of your work that I greatly admire 
are those sessions that you regularly have on national public radio where you're arguing back and forth with David Brooks of the New York Times, who's going to be on our show tomorrow, and David taking the more conservative Republican point of view and you taking the more liberal Democratic point of view. Because it's collegial, it's constructive, you're actually talking about real issues, not scandal politics and smear this and smear that and the worst president versus the best president and all of the extremes that we have so much in our politics. Do you think there is any chance that this election coming up (laughs) could possibly be fought out more on that level about dealing with problems like our huge and looming national deficit and debt uh, that have to do with a crisis of, of security on the border that people are deeply concerned about or the the lack of opportunity for upward mobility that many Americans experience. Could our election somehow be a more uplifting effort to find a better way? I wish I could answer yes, but I think especially... If President Trump is on the ballot again, uh, the answer is almost certainly no. I mean, I think that it's, and by the way, I just learned from that promo, I could become a medhead and be on the left wing of the medhead. So that's very exciting. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, but um, I think that, um, you know, the Democrats actually want to talk about a lot of those issues. You hear it in, you know, if you watched any of that, uh, you know, uh, set of town halls last night, um, Democrats want to talk a lot about economic issues. They want to talk a lot about access to college, upward mobility, all those kinds of issues. And I think you'll hear quite a lot of that in the Democratic primary debate and some nuanced and some real differences among them. Uh, I just don't think we are likely to have an election like that uh, in the fall because the, I don't think the president wants an election like that. I don't think he wins an election like that. Um, and I think it's going to be a while until we have a national conversation like that. It's very kind of you to say what you said about David and me, and I really appreciate that. Um, but, you know, I, I, one of the things that has bothers me about the national conversation is how much mistrust there is across our political divides that we assume that most of the people we disagree with, and obviously this, some people feel that way about me, some people feel that way about other people on the other side of politics, they must be bad people. They must be immoral, awful people if they disagree with me. Now, I've got to say, in the case of the president, I, 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 I come from a point of view on this, I don't think it's a mistake to view him that way. I think he is a very, very, uh, to be charitable, morally challenged person. Uh, but that's not true of all the people I disagree with in politics. or a lot of people on the other side I respect. And we don't have a conversation like that anymore. It's one of the reasons I like to do your show, is I like arguing with you, because I think you're coming from an honest place. Well, you're and kind we to don't say so, but... feel that way about each other. Okay, you're kind to say so, but here, here's the problem. If this uh, continues to be a focus on the Mueller report and on Russia's role in the 2016 election... I I am so done with it and so tired of it on every side. I I am completely nauseated by the prospect uh, raised by some of my fellow conservatives about, oh, let's now investigate the investigators. Let's go after Bob Mueller. Let's see if we can indict Bob Mueller. Let's see if we can indict James Comey. Let's see if we can indict Hillary Clinton as if she were relevant to anything right now. Lock her up, lock her up, lock her up. I know. But it just seems to me 
that by concentrating on more investigations and on President Trump's tax returns, uh, by on the issue of the tax returns, what exactly is Elijah Cummings hoping to find, or is is Congressman Neal hoping to find it's, over uh, Rich, Ways and Means? Uh, Richie Neal. Well, I I think for you know those of us who are against the president and wanted a thorough investigation, I think one of the disappointments of the Mueller investigation is that he didn't seem to look into whatever financial nexus there was between President Trump and Russia and other foreign countries. Now, that may actually have been looked into, but is part of the separate investigation, which he said was not in his report, um, about whether there's an intelligence problem here, sort of the separate intelligence um, investigation. Um, but I think it is very reasonable to ask of Trump what we've asked of every president, of Bush, of uh, Reagan, of uh, Obama, of Clinton. Sure, sure I, ag- I agree. Finances I, because I, there are conflicts. I, I, I agree that it's reasonable. However, why does it necessary for Congress to do its job to go back and get these business records from when he was a private businessman. I'm just not sure I understand the case that's being made here. The case that's being made is that all through this conversation, one of the questions was, how is President Trump close to Russia? Is he close to Russia? If the president hadn't lied about the fact that negotiations were indeed going on with Russia over a Trump Tower in Moscow, there might be a little less interest here. But the fact that he um, sort of repeatedly misled people that while he was saying nice things about Vladimir Putin, he was also hoping to get Putin's help uh, to build a building in Moscow. So these, you know, again, I understand why you're sick of all of this. In some ways, sometimes I get sick of the whole conversation and watch NBA games. Uh, but um, I think these are legitimate questions that we need to get to the bottom to. Of. And maybe it's in the other part of the Mueller report that we have, you know, not the redacted part, but in the other part of the investigation that he I, may have sent off to the FBI. I, I don't know if you've seen Glenn Harlan Reynolds uh, today in USA Today. He's my fellow member of the board of contributors there. Glenn Harlan Reynolds, who's a professor at University of Tennessee Law School, He makes the point that in terms of President Trump's actual policies toward Russia and toward Putin, he has been anything but a Putin puppet, particularly in terms of of cracking down on Putin allies like Iran and uh, upping our oil production, which greatly undermines the Russian economy. You think he's right, don't you, that that in terms of actual policy— there's really no evidence that uh, Trump has been anything like a lapdog for Vladimir Putin. I think there is a weird bifurcation uh, in the Trump policy, because what you just said is broadly true. At the same time, regularly at NATO meetings, uh, for example, um, he seems <laughs> intent on breaking up the alliance. He's I know had it's to be strange. Back by some of his aides. Um, you know, he sides with, uh, you know, he says very positive things about authoritarian figures everywhere. So I think there's a split between some of the things Trump does, which are a fairly hardline policy, and other things he does, which send a very different signal about what he's, where he's trying to lead our foreign policy. Okay, let me ask you the most obnoxious question possible. Go- 
Who's uh, the Democratic nominee this year? Who will be the Democratic nominee? Oh, I'm so tempted to say Pete Buttigieg. (laughs) (laughs) Well, why not? Uh, I I mean, and the betting... I've known uh, Mayor Pete, as everybody says, for a long time. And I think he's a very formidable person, and I'm very glad he's in the debate. Obviously, I know he's a real long shot. Beyond that, I am utterly confused. If it's not Mayor Pete and it's not Joe Biden, I don't know. Uh, And, you know, and I think Biden has some real challenges to confront. I think the first week of Biden, assuming he gets in on Thursday, is going to be very interesting because I think... He's got to present himself as a bridge to something else. He's got to say, I'm, and I think there's been a lot of talk that he'd say he'd be a one-term president. Right, uh, and, may, and maybe even... transition us to a better politics. I think that would be intriguing if he did it that way. I agree. And, and maybe he could even be a bridge to the 20th century. Though I'm not sure we want to go backwards in this greatest nation on God's green earth.